Well, welcome back, Bible readers. This is the Rooted Podcast, and we are once again getting closer and closer to the middle of the year, halfway through. Um, we are uh, finishing up today uh, some reading from the book of Joshua. Um, next week, we'll get some new reading. Next week, we start a new month, and we will start have the first part of the month is Jesus's conversations with women. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about next week of the month, the first part of the month. And the rest of the month, um, we'll do some of, um, I think it's Paul's epistles, where we'll read through um, Colossians, if Philippians, I think in First and Second Timothy, I believe. So we'll do some uh, of Paul's epistles, and uh, we'll do Jesus' conversations with women. So as we continue, that's kind of what's ahead for the next month. Um, today, we got to finish up with uh, the book of Joshua, and uh, we're going to finish covering the entirety of the book of Joshua. So from today, from chapter 12, uh, excuse me, from chapter 11, all the way to chapter 24. Now we're not going to cover all the chapters because there's a rather large section that I, um, Tim was asking me earlier, why did you skip this large section <laughs> in Joshua, Joshua 13 to 21 about and all I was the, just kidding about all the properties and different things like that, because it talks about how, um, God divides up all the land and all the properties. And, and you know how, Wonderful reading your um, going down to the courthouse and pulling your property deed and reading your property deed and how wonderful that can be and how <laughs> illuminating and exciting. But you know what? People, there are people that do those uh, do those things for a living. And I actually have one of those. I was telling them earlier, one of those property markers in my front yard. I think half of Pea Ridge marks off of that one property marker, that one um, marker in my front yard. So I was saying, if I move it, I might be in trouble. Um, but I keep it neatly trimmed around it and make sure it's visible and everything like I'm supposed to. Anyway, we got to get into Joshua here. Joshua chapter um, 11 is where we kind of left off from last time. So um, last week we were, we started this, um, uh, the campaigns of Joshua as he goes into the promised land. He goes into the central part of the promised land, uh, chapters 7 and 8. Then he heads uh, south, kind of conquers the southern area. And now we get into the uh, Joshua 11, where he heads back up north. And just like in chapter 10, where there was a coalition of kings uh, that gathered to go against Israel, so the same thing happens in chapter 11. If you read the first couple of verses of chapter 11 of Joshua, it says, Then King Jabin of Hazor heard what happened, and he sent messages to some other kings of his, King Joab, King Shimron, King Ashpap. I don't know how you say that. I think that's right. And all the kings of the northern hill country. And he, so again, another coalition of kings here from the north to try to come in and set themselves against of, against Joshua and against um, the Israelites. Um, however, the the God responds quickly in this one. I mean, it's only what Tim six verses later, verse six. It says, "Then the Lord said to Joshua, Don't be afraid of them. By this time tomorrow." I will hand all of them over to Israel as dead men. Then you must cripple their horses and burn their chariots. I mean, by this tomorrow. I mean, you look at what's happening here in the book of Joshua. And while Joshua and the Israelites are doing a lot of the fighting, being used as God's instruments, really God is the one that's doing all the work here. He's the one that's saying, Joshua, don't worry. I've promised that I will give you the victory. I've promised that I will win and help you push out all these inhabitants. And he does that here. I mean, it's very straightforward, I think, as you look at this text. Very simple. I mean, this is what's happening. Yeah. And I, I love the promise that you just read. Yeah. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow about this time I will deliver all them slain before Israel. And what, what a promise. 
And as we go through these passages of Scripture, mark your Bible when you yeah. when you see these promises and uh, embrace them and apply them to, to your life. And because that one goes back to do, the whole do not be afraid. That goes all back be to afraid. chapter 1 yeah. where he promised at the very beginning, you know, don't be afraid, uh, be courageous, I've given you. Because can you imagine trying to go in and conquer this land with several different people groups there? Yeah, he would have been afraid. Yeah. He would have needed an extra... Yeah. Uh, touch of God for some courage and some encouragement. Um, so this this northern coalition in in chapter eleven, you know, God deals with them. Uh, but at the end of the chapter, it also notes that uh, verse twenty one of uh, chapter eleven, it says during this uh, period, um, Joshua destroyed all the descendants of Anak who lived in the hill country of Hebron. Deber or Debir and Anab, the entire hill country of Judah and Israel. He killed them all and completely destroyed their towns. None of the descendants of Anak were left in all the land of Israel, though some still remained in Gaza or Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. And of course, if you know your um, connection with the sons of Anak, those are the giant clans. Those are the ones that um, uh, they were scared of the first time when they went into the promised land. Remember, they said, We saw the sons the of Anak and we look like grasshoppers. And that's I think that was one of the main reasons, wasn't it, that caused them to be fearful that sure. first time. Sure. And then they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because, remember, Joshua was part of that group and Caleb and the other 10 leaders, and they were afraid. Uh, but now Joshua was able to conquer that. And of course, it says that a few are left over. And I think it's interesting because we know what happens later on in the biblical narrative. It says, though some still remained in Gates and Gath and Ashdod. And who is the famous giant that fights David? But it's Goliath of Gath. And Goliath has a few brothers. So it kind of sets you up to help you remember, oh, wait a minute, there are still some giants left in Gath. And then you come to the time of David, and here's Goliath of Gath. So it connects things for you. And um, Goliath had some big, big brothers, oh, yes, too. He did. They were big, big guys, too. So. <laughs> That's one thing we forget about is Goliath had some brothers. It wasn't and they just were him. big. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were probably his yeah. size. Yeah. If I mean, maybe not as big as him, but maybe he was the biggest. I don't know. <laughs> Um, but but no doubt uh, he had some brothers that could do some real damage. And, and, of course, that would create fear. I mean, can you imagine having to go up against giants of that size? And, and again, they weren't just tall men, but they were big men. I mean, they were like linebackers, eight-foot-tall linebackers, nine-foot-tall linebackers. I mean, can you imagine how scared you'd be? They would run over you all. Big boys. Big boys. Uh, but nonetheless, the point of it is at the end of this of this conquering here in chapter 11, the, the, the battle, God's helping Joshua defeat even the giants. So there's no hurdle that's too big uh, with God's help, uh, and Joshua leads the Israelites. Um, and, and uh, you know, we can spiritualize it, I guess, too, and say, you know, we all have giants in our own lives that are bigger than what we think they are. Yeah. I think they're big and, and, challenges. And that's the theme of the Old Testament, mm -hmm. that the Lord God of armies, he, he is the yeah. warrior king, yeah. and he fights our battles for us. And that's the, the teaching of the, the entire Old Testament. The God of Israel fights yeah. their battles for them. Yeah. And so that's the, the great application. I, I love verse number 15 in, in chapter 11. It, it not only tells us that Joshua was a good starter. right. But he he finished, and you know many of us are mm. good. We we start projects, but we don't follow through. Well, here, the text says, as the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, mm. and so Joshua did. 
he let, left nothing undone of all the Lord had commanded Moses. And so he was a, he was a finisher. I like those guys that, you know, not only start well, but I love to see people finish well. And, yeah. and we see Follow that through. in the life of Joshua, don't we? Yeah, we do. Um, my text says he carefully obeyed all the commands mm. that the Lord had That's given. That's a great way to put it. Um, it? I, I like how that says it. because Very detailed. He was very careful. Yeah. Uh, and, and Yeah, because God's giving to Moses, then Moses is giving to Joshua, and Joshua's obeying everything yes. like, down to the detail. Mm. Um, and, and part of obedience is making sure you obey completely. Yes. And of course... You know, for example, yes. in the life of Saul, I don't know if we talked about that last week or the week before, you know, he didn't completely obey and Samuel gets mad and upset. You didn't completely do what I told you to do. And, and that's why God says, I want obedience rather than sacrifice. Uh, God was requiring that more and more. Yes. Um, so you move into chapter 12. Chapter 12 is this grand listing of all of the, of the battles won, this grand listing. It says, so it says... Um, it talks about, chapter 12, I think, is divided into two sections. The first half is kind of, it talks about the uh, kings that Moses helped defeat on the other side of the promised land, the kings of Sihon and Og, the, the, the two ones there, because they had to clear out that side of the promised land so that those two and a half tribes could live there, Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh. And then the rest of them, so there were two, two kings defeated there, and then the rest of them, if you look in verse 9 of chapter 12, you have a listing of all... 31 additional kings. Um, and as I was going through and reading through these and tracing them back, uh, for the most part, uh, if you needed an order from beginning to end as to the kings that were defeated, like in their specific order, this list is pretty accurate. Because I went back through and I traced all these in my Bible and looked back as, as they occurred. Some of these, you know, Jericho, of course, the king of Jericho, verse 9, that occurred in chapter 6. And so it starts at Jericho and goes all the way down. So that list is not only... Um, uh, uh, just a normal list we call it, but it's actually in order. Uh, it's not just a haphazard oh, let's, or alphabetical. It's not alphabetical either. Um, and 31 in all. And again, it's, it's to show that God is faithful in doing what he said he would do. Yes, sir. I mean, that's faithfulness to say, look, 31 times, I'm sorry, 33 times, because we've got to count Moses, his two, 33 times God has been faithful every single time. Yeah. He's been faithful. And what's so um, amazing is the 31 times we see it some repeated in history but these two kings that Moses defeated Og yeah. king of Basham and uh -huh. Sihon yep. king of what was it, the Amorites yeah we see that over and over again throughout the Old Testament. It's repeated. You go into the history of the nation, and God wants to encourage the people. You, you read it in Psalm 78, yep. and he reminds them what yep. God did. That was a major deal, yeah. big deal in the history of Israel. Yeah, and, and that's, that's what we call, I think they call that like historical retrospection where yeah. you look back. Yes. And Israel, is, Israel does a lot of that in the Psalms where they look back and they recount God's past blessings and say, look, God has done this for us, so therefore he's going to be here for us. He's That's not right. going to leave. He's not going to abandon he us. He did it then. He can do it today. Exactly. And uh, But he always goes back to those two kings that, yeah. that Moses. Uh, I know. <laughs> and those two kings were... were you know, very famous. They well were famous, and they were. I think is King Og the one that was like the really big guy, almost like a giant. 
Uh, he was the last of the Rephites, Rephites, which was the giant clan. So yeah, he was one. So it was, uh, if, if God can help you defeat those enemies, like the worst, the strongest enemies, then he can surely help us in the future. And, and you know, we make a case for journaling all the time. You know, journal what God has done in your past, how God has blessed you in the past, how he's taken care that's of a, that's you a good point. every step of the way, so that when you get into a crisis and there is a giant in your life, you can look back at what God has already done. Say, look, Lord, you've been faithful all this way. And I need to trust you because I know you'll be faithful for the rest of the way. Um, so just like when you have answered prayers, I think that's something you need to yep, write down. Absolutely. Um, well, chapters 13 to 21 are the details and, and how the allotments go and how Joshua goes before the uh, tabernacle and uh, I believe the casting of lots is done and to determine who gets what territory. And so if you want to read through that, you can read through that. That's extra reading um, as you read through those sections. And I would encourage to get a good atlas out if you wanted to trace those lines. And I'm sure there's some um, maybe maps or um, graphics online that might have, you know, how the line was, the land was divided and where they got and what they got. Uh, the land. Um, and what's also interesting too is that we find out from this division of the land here in Joshua 13, basically to 21, but I think it's more or less to 19, 13 to 19, is that Israel never really completely possessed the entirety of that land. They never did. Um, some scholars say they went in and they possessed maybe 15 to 20 percent of the land at most. 10 percent is 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 a low end, but maybe 20 percent. At most, they actually possessed of the land. Because why? Because when we get to the book of Judges, they didn't push out the, the inhabitants of the land like they were supposed to. So they only took, you know, so much of the land. Of course, in the future, in that millennial kingdom, they'll have all that land yes. that God has promised to them. Amen. And that's why that's part of that land covenant yes. in Scripture. That's why it's such a big deal for the Jewish big people. Deal. Even today, as there's fighting going on, uh, between the Palestinians and, the, and, and, and Israel. It's over the physical space, the physical That's land. Right. That's right. Because God promised that physical land, and they will get it eventually um, in, in that millennial kingdom when, um, when they're given that land they're promised. No doubt. And, no uh, doubts whatsoever. Yeah. It's firm in Scripture. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah. yeah. And, and probably, I would say, you could trace it back to here. And say yeah. is exactly what God promised. You can go back to here, and and you can see all the divisions of of what's there. But it's sad that they went into the land, conquered, took them seven years to conquer uh, through the conquest, and God says, "Okay, I, I've done most of the work. Now you need to finish up and do the rest of the work and push out the rest of the inhabitants, so you can have all the land." But they chose not to, and they were just content with having only almost like only a little bit of God's blessing, yeah. not all of what they could have had with what was there with the land. So as you read through those chapters, um, you, if you desire to, you can see how each tribe is given a certain section uh, and vice versa. But we get to chapter, um, the end of chapter 19, and I, I wanted to highlight uh, Joshua's, what Joshua receives. Because the end of chapter 19, it says, After all the land was divided among the tribes, verse 49, the Israelites gave a piece of land to Joshua as his allocation. For the Lord had said he could have any town that he wanted. <laughs> so he chose Timnath-Serah in the hill country of Ephraim, and he built the town and lived there. 
And these are the territories that Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, the tribal leaders, allotted as grants of land to the tribes of Israel by casting sacred lots in the presence of the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle at Shiloh. So the division of the land was complete. So again, it's telling us that how they divided the land, they divided it right there in the presence of the Lord so there would be no dispute. You know, Joshua and Eleazar, the priests there, are helping out with the casting of the lots. But Joshua gets, you know, he's the last one. He's the leader, you know. And most leaders today would probably take the first, first, you know, first allotment. But he gets the last allotment, and he actually gets to choose uh, his last allotment. And I think that says a lot of Joshua, him being a humble servant and not really wanting to, to he wants to make sure everyone else has land, yeah. has property, has allocation. And it's unusual too, Jeremy, as we look through the rest of the entire Old Testament, the Levites didn't have an inheritance. The Bible says that Good the point. Lord yep. was their inheritance. And then you, you get over to chapter 21, and it tells how the Levites got property. Yeah. The rest of the Israelites had to specifically give them part of their property yeah. and take care of them specifically. If you look at verse number three, so the children of Israel gave to the Levites from their inheritance at the commandment of the Lord in these cities and these common lands. And that's all the way through the Old Testament. And, and there's a principle unusual. And there's yeah. a principle there because that has the idea of, because the Levites were the ones who ministered on behalf of the people in the tabernacle. And so they didn't have the day-to-day stuff of fields and property to manage. They had responsibilities in the tabernacle, later the temple that they had. So they had duties and responsibilities. And so they couldn't... um, you know, go out and farm the land, uh, do what they would do to support their family. Interestingly enough, they depended upon the other Israelites to support them because if you were an Israelite and you were doing what you were supposed to do as far as your offerings and sacrifices, you were bringing them to the tabernacle. And as the Levites helped, you know, portions of the sacrifices were actually given to the Levites. So if you as an Israelite were actually doing what the Scripture commanded you to do, then you would be giving, uh, in, in essence, to the Levites. You would be giving to them and helping take sure. care of them. Sure. So if you weren't doing what you were supposed to do, guess what? God's minister was suffering. You know, just the same way today. You know, if we're not tithing like we should to the local church, then God's ministers can suffer as a result of it. And so there's a principle there behind it. But you're right because God entrusted the Levites with that responsibility. I think the ages. What was it like? 20 to 50 20 or to something 50. like that. <laughs> something like that. And that's interesting, too. Um, they had a time, whether it was, it may have been 20 to 50 or maybe 30 to 50. I can't remember which. Um, but they had 20, 20, 20 to 30 years of ministry then of, of sacrificial helping in the temple, the tabernacle. And then that was it. Then after 50, you were done. Because um, I can imagine, I mean, sacrificing all those animals probably took a physical, a mental emotional toll, yeah. toll yeah. maybe on your mind, yeah. um, but also gave a chance for the rest of the Levites who were younger and coming up to also participate. Yes. Um, and maybe at, at that age, you couldn't handle the animals as much, maybe yeah. physically. I don't know. <laughs> if I was trying to today, I'm not 50, but if I was trying today to wrangle up a, uh, you know, an animal that was brought to me, I'd have some struggles. Yeah. Um, maybe that's why, I don't know. But they were definitely given. And, and in, in line with that, in chapter 20, you have the cities of refuge, which were also given um, or I should say they were allotted out. And the cities of refuge is kind of a unique thing. Um, and if you look in that text in 
Genesis, or excuse me, in uh, Joshua chapter 20, there's six cities that are listed. You've got Kadesh, Shechem, Hebron, uh, Bezer, Bezer, I, I think it's Bezer, Ramoth, and Golan. And these six cities, if you were to look at them on a map, okay, they're not all close to each other. They're all separated. It's like, um, think about a, a, a number six on a dice. You know how that's separated? You got three on one side and three on the other side. So you had three cities inside the land and three cities outside the land. So three cities, you know, between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. And then you had on the other side of the Jordan River, you had the other three cities. The idea was that if you committed a crime and you needed to escape because um, of committing that crime, that family that you committed the crime against could avenge that person's death upon you. They could come after you because you're the one it's that committed the crime. It's an accidental crime. Right. It was accidental. Oh, yeah. But yeah, by all means, let me make sure that's clear. It's <laughs> accidental. It's not premeditated. So... Uh, and I think some of the funnier ones are saying, you know, if I'm in a, in a field uh, and I've got my axe with me and my, and my friend is over here and I throw back my axe and the axe head falls off and it kills my brother, it's an accident, you know. Uh, it didn't mean it on purpose. But just because it's an accident, that family can still take vengeance on you. So to f- help with that problem so that there's not a lot of killing and, 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 and needless murdering, you might say, is that God sure. gives these six cities of refuge. And so you had to flee. If you wanted to keep your life, um, you had to flee. You didn't have to go there, but I wouldn't want to be looking <laughs> behind my shoulders sure. all the time Absolutely. for that family. It was a place of safety and refuge. And, and, mm-hmm. and those six being situated, if you look at them, it's meant so that you could get to any one very quickly. They weren't like all up in the north, and then you committed the crime way down here in the south, and good luck getting that far all the way up. You know, They were, they were strategically placed. So that wherever the crime was committed, you could get to one of the cities decently, quickly. And as the rule goes, you were allowed to live in the city. You could go outside the city, live inside the city, until that high priest who was living, uh, until he passed away. And whoever the high priest was, if they passed away, then you were freed. Then the, then the wrong was absolved, I guess we might say, and you were free to go back to your family without having to look behind your back. So here's the thing. If you committed the crime accidentally and you got to one of these cities and the high priest just got installed as the high priest maybe a few years ago and he was a young guy, then you might be in that city for a while. But if you go to the city committing the crime and go to a city and the high priest is old, you know, getting ready to retire, then you might only be there for a few years. So you really didn't know. It really didn't know. But this was God's way of extending grace and mercy to those who didn't commit a crime on purpose, but it was accidental. Um, and so they were to flee to these cities of refuge and to take refuge there. It says anyone who accidentally killed another person, there it is in the end of chapter 20, um, uh, verse number 9, anyone who accidentally killed another person could take refuge in one of these cities. In this way, they could escape being killed in revenge prior to standing trial before the local assembly. So, and by the way, it does say at the First part of verse 9, these cities were set um, apart for all the Israelites as well as the foreigners yes. living among them. Yeah. So here's God's not just providing for the Israelites, he's providing for the foreigners. And that foreigner term 
it traces us back to Egypt and to the Egyptians sure. that came out. Right. Remember, because even in Leviticus, right. there's provisions of how they approach God. How does the foreigner approach God in the tabernacle? Well, it's different than how the Israelite is. But God still makes provisions for people even that are not Israelites. Outside the covenant. Out, yeah, exactly. Outside the covenant. So uh, for, for, for God to already being uh, already thinking about that. And then he applies that in the book of Ephesians. We were strangers, aliens, foreigners. Yeah, We've foreigners. We've yep. brought in together through one body, both Jew and Gentile, which make up the church. And that's that's yeah. great. That's yeah. exactly right. There's always room for the foreigner. Yeah. Strangers. And uh, so, you know, we don't know how full these cities of refuge were. We're not really given a whole lot of additional information in Scripture. Um, but... Mark those cities, those names of those cities, because those cities uh, um, become important cities. Now, I didn't have you read this, but there's also this idea of towns given to the Levites, okay? And there were Levitical cities. So there were also Levitical cities that were given to the Levites in chapter 21. I don't think you read this, but I'll just give you this little bit of information. And those Levitical cities were... Um, I believe there were 42 Levitical cities. Am I saying that right? I think so. 42 <laughs> Levitical cities. Um, and they were scattered all throughout Israel. Now, what's the difference between a Levitical city and a city of refuge? Well, sometimes, um, let me just say it this way, Levitical cities, there were 46 of them, and they were where the Levites would live because the Levites had to instruct the people on how they had to offer sacrifices, the feast days, all the religious calendar things, the Levites were responsible to educate the people. So they lived amongst the people. Um, so you had 42 Levitical cities. And of those 42 Levitical cities, six of them were also cities of refuge. Right. So we could say every city of refuge was also a Levitical city, but not every Levitical city well, was city a city of, of refuge. refuge. And so there were 40, uh, 46, 42, 42 You'll have to read it. Um, uh, the numbers I'm speaking, I hope I'm saying them correctly, but it's, it's clearly written in that text of, of, of chapter 21 of Joshua. But uh, there again, there's another, uh, there's another concept here because God is constantly wants his ministers, a minister on behalf of him, to be in with the people. So when you had a question about what sacrifice am I to offer, I committed this crime, and I don't know. None of my friends know. Nobody in the town knows. Where do I go? We'll go to a Levitical city and ask a Levite. They will know. Um, and those towns were interspersed. They didn't have to go all the way to Jerusalem, you know, to find the answer to the question. Again, they didn't have email, didn't have internet, didn't have <laughs> telephones, you know, didn't even have the Pony Express. They couldn't text each other. <laughs> couldn't yeah. text each other or anything like that. So you had to go to a town where there was a Levite in, and he would help give you uh, instruction about what you were supposed to do. Yes. Again, it was so that everybody, all of Israel, could obey God's commands. Um, and if you weren't doing your job as a Levite, then you were actually preventing others from obeying God's commands. Yes. That's why he held them so much more accountable. Uh, but anyway, that, that, that's additional information about the Levitical towns, and, and uh, uh, that's in that text. But the Cities of Refuge is the one that I wanted you to read uh, to find, uh, because I think that's important, um, because God always has a place of safety for God us. Always makes all, God always makes provision, yeah. doesn't he? And that word refuge, David used that so many times in the Psalms, doesn't he? Yes. God is my refuge. My refuge. My, my strength. Yes. And, and so it's a provision saying that God is always providing providing a way. Well, as um, 
the book of Joshua kind of comes to an end. We've got chapters 23 and 24 here. And I love chapter 23. Yeah, you were just talking uh, about the uh, retrospection, right? Uh, so there it is. Exactly. I love that promise yeah. in verses 2 and 3. I won't read verse 1 because of time's sake. But Joshua, he's, he's given his farewell address, and he, he says in verse number 2, if I can find it, And Joshua called for Israel, for the elders and the heads, the judges, the officers, and he said to them, Hey, guys, I'm getting old, and you have seen all that the Lord has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. And it's a reminder, and we see this over and over in Scripture, how we need to be reminded, encouraged about the battles we fought, the battles that God has won. If he's done it in the past, he can do it again. Whether you're facing the giants or whether you're facing small, minute problems in your life, God is able to, to give you that victory. And uh, as you as you look at that last half of chapter 23, there's a couple of verses that I underlined. Um, you know, in verse 6, again, he's saying, listen, be careful. Be careful to follow everything that Moses wrote. Uh, don't deviate from it. And he says, verse 7, make sure not to associate with the other people still remaining in the land. Don't even mention the names of their God, much less swear by them right. or even worship them. Rather, cling tightly to the Lord your God yes. as you have done. And so the contrast there is important. The way that you fight against falling into the the temptation of idolatry and worshiping of other gods is you cling more tightly to the Lord your God. So you go on the offensive yes. instead of on the defensive. So the more you read Scripture, the more you know about God and know who He is and what He desires, the easier it is for you to fight against false yes. gods, false yes. idolatry. Because, yes. I mean, and that's what he's saying. He's saying, rather, cling tightly. I like how it says that. Cling tightly to the Lord your God. I mean, look what the Lord your God has done for them. Yes. Look at all those things He has done. And yet, but we know the Biblical narrative, we know that they don't cling tightly to the no. Lord. We know that they, they began to fall intermarry short. with yeah. other nations and yeah. began to worship their gods. And yeah. you get to the point where Solomon actually did that, and you have Rehoboam and Jeroboam and all the, all the consequences of that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but could, that's, that's so true. How, how does verse number eight cling? It says, rather, cling tightly to the Lord your God as you have done until now. The New King James says, but you shall hold fast. And, and those two terms, cling, hold fast, mm-hmm. those, are, those are great ways to uh, And then he obedience. follows it up in verse 12. He says, but if you turn away from him and cling to the customs of the survivors of these nations remaining among you, and if you intermarry with them, then know for certain yeah. that the Lord your God will no longer drive them out right. of the land. Disobedience will remove the blessing of God and, and the favor of God. And then those same peoples will be a snare and a trap to you. Yep. And and you will vanish from this good land yeah. the Lord your God has given. Wow, what a prophetic. Thorns in your eyes, scourges yeah. on your side. Yeah. 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 And I, I underlined <laughs> this and highlighted this verse in verse 14. is really powerful, that last half of that verse. Yes. It says that every promise of the Lord your God has come true. Not a single one has failed. Amen. I highlighted that Not same. Not a single one has same failed. same verse. Every single yeah. one. Every single one. Um, things that God has promised have come have come true. Now, the, the 
kind of finishing of Joshua's uh, lifetime. He's doing one more here, kind of farewell speeches in 23 and 24. Now, in chapter 24, Joshua does, you know, this retrospection again. He's saying, this is what the Lord God your says, you, you know, the father of Abraham. And I went through this whole text here, and you can see all my I underlined how many times the word I shows yep, up. I did too. Because this is God speaking. I brought says, you I out. did this. I did this. I did this for you. I did this here. I did this here. I did this here. And all throughout this text, the first 13 verses. Yeah. You circled them, didn't you? Yeah, I circled That's... them all. They're all so you could see them visually. Yeah. It's all I I, 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 just to see that, listen, God is the one that did this. Uh, God is the one that helped. And then it comes to that climax of verse 24, you know, God's done all these things, or verse 14, so fear the Lord and serve him. Put away the idols your ancestors worshiped. Choose you this day whom you will serve. There's the famous verse that goes into chapter uh, um, 24. And of course, they all say, you know, we will serve him. We will serve the Lord. Yes, yes, we will serve the Lord. And they do, because verse 31 says, the people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him, those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel. So they did well for Joshua's finishing generation and the elders who outlived Joshua. But, but then the book of Judges happens. <laughs> and there is a pattern that's going to be <laughs> yeah. set. And there is a pattern, because... Um, and it's a pattern that we find in our lives, too, because God does all these great things, but we still choose to do things our own way. God does all these great things for us, but we decide we have a better plan. God does all these great things for us, but we want to do it our way. You, you read verse number 7 of chapter 2, where the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Yeah, yeah. And who else? The, the elders yeah. and the judges. Yeah. And just two or three verses later, it says, when all that generation had gathered to their fathers... Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. And that's they didn't hand it down. I know, that's a know. big deal. Big deal. They didn't hand it down because it says back in Joshua twenty four and verse thirty one, it says, Those who had personally experienced all the Lord had done for Israel. Personally experienced. So Joshua's generation and the elders yep. saw what God that's a good did point. and they didn't pass it down. Right. Which also goes to show you that you can't, you know as well, you can't depend upon your mother's or father's or ancestor's faith. You have to personally experience God for yourself. Right. Absolutely. And even though they didn't pass it down, they weren't responsible. Because here's Joshua and his generation. You mean they didn't teach them? Well, I'm sure they did. I'm sure they taught them and instructed them. But this generation that came up after just didn't get it or didn't take yeah. a hold of it. Yeah. Or maybe we should say they just didn't personally experience God yeah. for themselves. I mean, you can't, as much as we desire to pass down our faith to our children, to say, wow, if you knew what I knew when I was your age, you know, if, if we could just pass that down. But we can't. We've got to let them have their own personal experience yeah, with God. That's, right. that's hard. That's hard. Because you want to, it's almost like you want to push it on them and say, here, <laughs> take this, take mine, take my experience. But you can't. You can't live on the Christianity of another. No. You, know? you no. have to trust Christ for yourself and have that relationship with him. And that's why it's important to have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's not something you can, you know, come on the coattails of someone else. I mean, they might have some good things to tell you to do or some good counsel, but you're going to have to experience it. Yourself. For it to be real, and for right. it to last, you're going to have to experience it yourself. You can't. We can do everything. We can give them all the things they need to 
help them get there and get closer to experiencing it, but we can't experience it for and, them. And that's one of the major problems. We're easy to forget. Yeah. Over and over again, he told them to remember, I fought for you. Look what I did for yeah. you. That, that chapter in yeah. chapter 24 where yeah. you circled the eyes and yeah. everything that God did. Man, the emphasis of that repetition is there's no doubt who did this. Yeah. It was God. Yeah. But this other generation didn't see that. And it wasn't handed down to them, and they didn't see for themselves. And people have to see for themselves mm-hmm. that the Lord, He is God, and they have to embrace Him. Right. Yeah. And that forces them to actually start start developing that relationship with yes. God. Yes. It forces them. Because, yeah, there's only so much we can look back. I mean, we today can look back and read the Old Testament, and, and, and we could not develop a relationship with God. Because we can just look back and read, oh, it's great what God did in the past, in the past, in the past, but then have nothing in our lives to show for. There's no nothing real because we have to experience God for yes. ourselves as yes. well today. So, Amen. All right. Well, I believe our time is 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 up for today, and uh, so that was Joshua. Kind of a quick read through of Joshua. Next week we'll start with uh, some new reading from Jesus' conversations he has with women. Ooh. So that's an interesting. Um, topic there and he has spends a lot of time having conversations with women through the gospels oh, something unique something that not a lot of people not the pharisees religious leaders would do but jesus definitely had lots of conversations with them and so we'll interact uh with those next some time. of his biggest financial supporters well, were true. women that's true and probably paul as well <laughs> yeah. i might say as yeah. well all right so we'll dig into that reading next time so stay tuned we'll do that next time